In last week's episode of Radically Different, we heard from five digital nomads about why they chose the location-independent lifestyle and what it's really like. Ever since I was little, I've always wanted to travel. I'm a nomad because I really care about, you know, I really want to be independent in my own boss. I don't have to be anywhere. Creativity and freedom go, go hand in hand. But in the final episode of this first season of Radically Different, the goal is to give you a toolkit of examples, resources, and advice for how to try out this lifestyle for yourself. So I'm going to tell you what is really happening. You'll hear from several digital nomads about how they were able to start working remotely. Hey, I'm moving to Costa Rica. Do you still want me to work for you? And they were like, uh, yeah, so I guess we'll, we've never had anyone work remotely, but we'll try that. And what their monthly expenses look like. I think people assume that they need more money to live this sort of lifestyle than they actually do. We'll talk about the digital nomad hubs around the world. Once you can get any of those in, in one place, that's where everybody's going to go. And the unique challenges that many nomads face and strategies for overcoming them. So you're sitting at your laptop, literally in a foreign country where you might not know anyone, and you're trying to build something where most people need a big community and they need support. I'm Sam Kern, and this is Radically Different, a podcast about young people pursuing lifestyles and career paths that break from the American norm. I'm a recent college graduate who has become fascinated with how people my age are doing life differently than our parents did. In each episode, I'll show you the new ways young people across the globe are generating income, creating the lifestyle that they want, making the world a better place, and sometimes even rethinking what it means to live a good life. I'll be on the road, interviewing people that I find deeply inspiring, and sharing my discoveries with you in real time. Enjoy. Real quick, before we start, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, Digital Nomads Part 1, you should probably listen to that first. It introduces the people that you'll hear from in this episode, and it gives you a nice overview of the digital nomad lifestyle. All right, let's go. So maybe you're interested in becoming location independent, and maybe you even want to do the digital nomad thing and bring your work with you as you travel the world. But I think a really important question to ask yourself before you start is why? Because people are digital nomads for different reasons. Some nomads are traveling very fast. That's Pete. He's been a digital nomad for over a year, and he's currently based in Chiang Mai, Thailand. They're sort of looking to explore as many places as possible with the intention of keeping up their travels by, by topping up their, their earnings through a little bit of online work. Other people are sort of traveling very slowly and using this, this opportunity to, to build a sort of business, I guess, whilst living abroad. Right. For some digital nomads, the focus is traveling, immersing yourself in new cultures, trying new foods, seeing exotic parts of the world. But for others, um, they're chasing the new American dream that we touched on in last episode, basically taking advantage of lower costs of living and using their extra time and resources to build their own business, learn a new skill, or pursue a creative project. So it's kind of like they're they're two opposite ends of the spectrum, in a way. Exactly. Uh, It's not white or black. I know a lot of people that do both. But from my experience and those I've spoken to, the more that you move, the less productive you'll be. And that's not great if you're trying to build a business or complete a passion project. 
For the most part, though, the strategies you'll hear in this episode will apply to people on both ends of the spectrum. But it's something to keep in mind because it'll change your approach. In the broadest sense, a digital nomad is someone that can take their work with them as they travel. So if you want to be one, the first step is figuring out a way to make money in a location-independent way. So what's the obvious way to do this? So I'd recommend getting some sort of digital skill. That's Brittany Bond. She's 29, she's been a digital nomad for four years, and she consults, speaks, and produces a documentary series on the topic of remote work. So anything online, like... Uh, programming, web development, uh, designing things. Right. So obviously there are certain skills that are just more conducive to online remote work. You know, programmers, designers, digital marketers, copywriters, that sort of thing. But actually, I've met a lot of, quote, digital nomads that are project managers for startups, authors, creative directors for ad agencies, or magazine publishers. And with the rise of video calling and online teaching platforms, There's now therapists, life coaches, and even yoga teachers that run their entire businesses online. The point is, you might need to think outside of the box. For instance, your location-independent job doesn't even have to be fully location-independent. So I'm a videographer. That's Ermo Eckberts, and he's a great example of this. Um, Videographer slash editor slash director. As I explained in the last episode... He's a freelance filmmaker that travels to different places and makes promotional videos for people. At the moment, I'm in Chiang Mai for six months. And over here, I finally have, after a couple of years, a base now where my network starts to spread. The word of mouth becomes a big thing. Like after six months, people know I'm in town. I'm a videographer. And my friends over here, they even connect me with random people who they meet um, who need a videographer. Ermo has made it work as a location-independent filmmaker. So what's stopping you from becoming, say, a nomadic event producer, or maybe a massage therapist? When so much of our communication, networking, and promotion happens online, these things become real possibilities. So, let's say that you have a skill that would allow you to work remotely. Step number two is to start getting paid to do that. And there's a lot of ways you could go about this. One option is to find a job at a company that allows you to work remotely. If you know people at a company like this, I'd say talk to them first. But there's also job sites specifically for finding remote work. Yeah, there are a few different websites that you can go on that post uh, remote-friendly work. That's Sharon. She's a 26-year-old user experience designer from San Francisco that started the digital nomad lifestyle about seven months ago. Uh, I was big on looking on Dribbble. Uh, Yeah, and Dribbble has remote design jobs. But for other professions, I've heard good things about Remote OK, WeWork Remotely, Upwork, and AngelList. AngelList is a big one because it's a lot of startups that are really small and maybe can't pay for a central office yet. So it's actually really beneficial for small companies to be fully distributed. It saves them a lot of money and then they're able to hire talent from all over the world. So finding a job at a remote company is one option. What else? Um, Another way to go about it is freelancing. Yep, and this is actually how I started, though I'll say it wasn't easy. After a month in Thailand, I realized that I needed to start making money again. So I created an Upwork account and started submitting proposals for freelance software development jobs. It was laborious and emotionally draining, but within two weeks, I had my first client. Freelancing can be really great. 
Basically, you're running your own one-man business. But there's also downsides. Oftentimes, you're working alone, which I didn't love. And also, there's no steady paycheck. It's all on you to make sure you have a steady stream of work to pay the bills. Sharon tried freelancing too. Actually, I found freelancing really hard. As a designer, the problem I kept running into was either companies that didn't know how to work with a designer or like hadn't worked with a UX UI designer before or companies that were too budget conscious to allot me the hours to do the things I needed to do. And so I kept butting heads and I really liked working as an in-house designer where people kind of understood how to use me and there was a more long-term relationship where I saw a product from start to finish. That was more exciting to me. All right, so you could find a remote job or freelance, but there's another option, and that's to convince your current employer to let you do the same job remotely. One straightforward, though expensive way to do this is to enroll in a remote work travel program, and that's what Sharon ended up doing. So the program was called Remote Year. Yeah, and we talked about this in last week's episode. With Remote Year, you move to a new city each month with a group of about 40 other remote workers. The program organizes transportation, accommodation, workspaces, and activities for you. And the reason I opted to do a program instead of just going on my own, because of course it would have been much cheaper if I had planned this on my own, uh, was that it was a much easier sell to my company. Remote Year, for instance, actually provides a persuasive slide deck that you can show your employer and make your case. Uh, so I could show it to my boss and say. Hey, there's this great program. It's a wonderful networking opportunity for me.、Um, they're going to provide me with housing. They're going to provide me with secure internet and co-working spaces,、um, and they're going to provide me with opportunities to grow my skill set.、Um, so everything's provided for me. I don't have to think about anything other than working. This isn't a vacation. This is me working for you remotely, and everything else will be taken care of so that I can focus on this. So Sharon had her slide deck. She showed it to her boss. I pitched the whole thing to her, and to my complete surprise, she said yes. As more people are becoming able to work remotely, there's more companies like Remote Year popping up. And I actually Googled alternatives to Remote Year, and the top two articles were the 12 most popular digital nomad programs to travel the world and 14 alternatives to Remote Year. A clear disadvantage of programs like these is that oftentimes they're more expensive than doing it on your own, which means that you're no longer taking advantage of the lower costs of living in other countries. But、uh, luckily, there's another strategic way that you could convince your employer to let you work remotely. Brittany Bond explained to me how she did this. So I have a background in intellectual property law, and I worked for law firms in the United States for six years. I always had my moved my work so that I could work remotely. So a lot of the law firms I worked for were completely paper based. So you had a file and you had to like print everything, put it in the file. Well, I would help the whole law firm go paperless, make myself indispensable, and then say, "Hey, I'm moving to Costa Rica. Do you still want me to work for you?" And they were like,、uh, "Yeah." So I guess we'll we've never had anyone work remotely, but we'll try that because we don't know what to do without you. So that's how I got started. I was、um, it was twenty four. 2014, and I was getting divorced, and I was just kind of like, "F everything." I'm like, "I'm going to start this lifestyle that I want to." So I moved to Costa Rica, and I worked remotely for a law firm doing that. So I got paid the same amount I was getting paid in the United States in a foreign country where it was a lot cheaper. So far, we've talked about ways of transitioning to remote work for people that already have some sort of digital skill, but for a lot of professions, it's still not possible yet. 
So I have friends who have degrees in like very high end things, but they can't work remotely in those degrees ever. Even for me, working in a law firm is very old school and it's so hard for me to get them to let me work remotely. And then eventually the culture is, okay, now you've done your stint of working remotely, you have to come back and work in the office for the rest of your life. And so that's why I eventually stopped working in that industry because I was so tired of that. And that brings us to another option. Do something totally different than what you've been doing. And it can just be stuff where it's a stable, like small income. And that's the thing that you can rely on while you're building whatever else you want to be doing, while you're exploring other options. But this is something where you're like, if nothing else, I will make X amount of money a month doing, you know, putting together this website. Yeah, you don't have to think about this as a career change, but it will likely require learning a new skill and or creating some sort of online income stream. One way to do this is to save up some money, move abroad to a cheap country and start the process there. And doing that extends your runway, giving you more time to learn the new skill that you can then use to start making money online. But Brittany cautions against A lot of times I this. see people who are in this digital nomad lifestyle and they've uh, saved up, you know, a couple grand, a couple thousand dollars, US dollars. And they're like, and now I'm out here in Chiang Mai in Thailand and I'm going to build my online business. And then their money goes down and they have to go back home and start the, the nine to five all over again. And they weren't able to transition all the way. So they kind of just saved a bunch of money, tried to start a business. It didn't work and they had to go home. So she recommends a different approach build out your business while you're already having stable income. So a lot of my friends I've talked to have done this, you know, they have very um, big digital marketing agencies or like, you know, they're very successful web developers and they were able to just get side jobs while they were doing their nine to five. And they're not worried about the money at that point. So creativity is completely killed if you're just trying to pay your basic bills for the month. So that's why it's so important to do that while you still have that stable income. But what if you're eager to start living abroad now? but don't yet have a remote, stable income stream. Well, for a lot of us, there's another option. Um, I'll tell you, this is almost unfortunate to say. That's Tom Knoll. He's a researcher and a thought leader on digital nomadism who started his career in Silicon Valley and now runs a business management company remotely. And he's actually helped a lot of people become digital nomads. Native English speakers are at a great advantage because... As native English speakers, the the opportunity to teach online and make good money in various locales all over the world is incredible right now. Right. Uh, teaching English very often to Chinese children online. China has the largest growing middle class in the history of humanity right now. And... That means that they have uh, excess income and they want, many of them, want their kids to learn English. So they're paying top dollar. They're paying $20 an hour to people who are native English speakers to teach their kids English. Um, this means you can do it from anywhere that there's an internet connection. You just have to be a native English speaker. In some cases, you'll be paid more. In most cases, you will be paid more if you have a college degree. And also if you have a TEFL certification. Uh, that's the teaching English as a foreign language. You can do this training online in just four weeks for as little as $200. There's also in-person programs all around the world, though they're more expensive. But that's optional. If you wanted, you could create an account on Dada ABC or VIP Kid right now and be making $20 an hour teaching English within a week. For many native English speakers, it is one of the easiest things for them to do if they don't really know what they want to do yet. Or even if you do know what you want to do, but need an easy, reliable income stream to keep you afloat while you pursue it. 
And because your total expenses in a place like Chiang Mai might only be $1,000 a month, you could work just 20 hours a week as an online English teacher and still save $1,000 per month. And what that really does, again, effectively, from a startup standpoint, is give you a runway where you're only working half-time, you're saving money, you're in a beautiful place, you have a great quality of life happening, and it gives you time to really start crafting what you really want to be doing as a digital nomad online. So those are a few strategies for starting to make money as a digital nomad. But once you have that figured out, where should you go? Once you can get any of those in, in one place, that's where everybody's going to go. What's the cost of living there? I think people assume that they need more money to live this sort of lifestyle than they actually do. And how do you deal with common challenges that most digital nomads face? So you're sitting at your laptop, literally in a foreign country where you might not know anyone, and you're trying to build something where most people need a big community and they need support. That's coming up next. Uh, all right, we're going to take a quick little break here. Uh, one thing to note, there's a lot of mentions of different websites and resources within this episode. If you want to find those, you can go to radicallydifferentpodcast.com and go to the episodes page. You'll find all the links to these different things that we've mentioned in the episode description. Also, if you like the show and you want to support it, one of the best things you can do right now is either go to iTunes and leave a review or share this episode or one of the other ones in this season with someone who maybe hasn't heard this podcast before. All right, guys, thank you so much. Uh, let's get back to it. In the first half of this episode, we talked about how to start making money remotely, which is the first step in becoming a digital nomad. But how much do you actually need? Well, for a place like Chiang Mai and many other popular cities digital nomads tend to go, it's not much. Let's dig into the details. Okay, so this is something that I have a really hard time with because a lot of times people are just saying like BS about the subject. They're saying stuff in order to get you to come here and buy their course. So I'm going to tell you what is really happening. When Brittany came to Chiang Mai two years ago, she wanted to live really cheaply. And she told me about what her first apartment was like. So the Thai apartment, it was just a basic studio apartment with a balcony in your own bathroom. No kitchen or anything, but just like kind of like a, a higher end hotel room, basically. And it was 90 US dollars a month. It was right next to everything, right at, uh, no one's going to know where I'm saying, but it's right in the middle of the city, very close to walking distance. I didn't even have a scooter at the time. I just walked everywhere and it was close to everything I needed. And I just had a couple like consulting jobs where I was making about, I think $2,000 a month, but I had a lot of debt at the time because I was just got done um, finishing up a couple businesses that didn't work. And so I was like left with a lot of debt and I was trying to, I wanted to get to a point where I paid off all my debt and I was able to have, you know, $15,000 in savings so that I could feel comfortable. And at the time I was just putting everything back into like paying off all my bills. So I didn't feel like I had that much money, but I was able to live off, you know, 90 US dollars and then uh, maybe a couple hundred dollars in food a month. So you really like, there is a way to live 500 US dollars a month here, but you have to live very, very basically and like very basic. And I didn't really want to live that lifestyle. I wanted to live that lifestyle just to get out of that. But I don't think that 
that to me there's no point in leaving uh, nine to five working your butt off and then coming here and like basically living poor in a country where it's very cheap to live and you don't have to do that so I promised myself that after I got out of that hole basically that I would get to a point where I didn't have to worry about any of that I don't want to worry about money when I am living in a country where a normal nice meal costs two dollars you know so you're saying you were able to if you really in a place like Chiang Mai Mm -hmm. which is very cheap I mean as cities go you can live if you really stretched it for like $500 a month yes. that would be living very frugally yes. very very frugally it's possible but what is sort of the range of like what is more realistic if you want like a comfortable lifestyle well we're sitting in my very nice living room right now i live in a three bedroom house in neiman i think it's also who you know you know it's i knew people in order to get this place but um I think if you want to live comfortable lifestyle, I would say about a thousand U.S. dollars a month, and that's like you're not even looking at the number on the on how much things cost. Like when you go out to eat and stuff, and you probably are paying about four hundred U.S. dollars for your apartment. Like that's including getting a cleaner every month, all your electricity. Your apartment probably has a pool. It's not a bad lifestyle. I think people assume that they need more money to live this sort of lifestyle than they actually do. That's Sharon again. And when she decided to leave San Francisco and become a digital nomad, she took a big pay cut. And it was hard to wrap my mind around, hey, can I actually live on on half my budget? At least in Chiang Mai, she can. It's almost laughably cheaper than San Francisco. To give you an idea, um, I was sharing a one-bedroom apartment in San Francisco, and we were each paying $1,400. And in Chiang Mai, I have a one-bedroom apartment to myself, and it includes access to a co-working space, and I pay 400 a month for that. Yeah, so for a single room in Chiang Mai, Sharon is paying about 15% of what she was in San Francisco. Food as well. Here, I eat out almost all of my meals, and they can be anywhere from $0.80 to $10, depending on how ritzy I want to be, as opposed to, you know, your average sandwich in San Francisco would be 12 bucks and up. Of course, we're talking about Chiang Mai, which is one of the cheapest places in the world that still has a high quality of life. But what about other places? A tool that I've used to understand the cost of living in cities around the world is called Nomadlist. It has profiles on over 2,000 cities and scores them on the cost of living, but also things like safety, internet speeds, weather, and lots of other useful factors. It's worth noting that the data isn't perfect, but it gives you a good sense of where digital nomads are going. Overall, there's a basic formula. It's this combination of weather, internet connectivity, quality of life, cost of living. You know, that's kind of the magic special sauce. Once you can get any of those in, in one place, that's where everybody's going to go. I asked Tom about the up-and-coming digital nomad hotspots. Bali wants to be the next uh, Chiang Mai. And in the last year, they've gotten much better internet infrastructure. Um, down in the south part of Thailand, uh, a lot of people go to Koh Phangan and Koh Lanta. Both of them have uh, co-working spaces. Um, Medellin, I mentioned before, Medellin, Colombia, in that part of the world is a big uh, hub for nomads right now. Um, Lisbon, Portugal is, is a big one. Some other parts of uh, southern Spain, Malaga and, and other parts in southern Spain are big. Other popular nomad destinations that I've heard about are Berlin, Tulum, Mexico, and Costa Rica. But often I think about how this will probably change. As more digital nomads flock to these places, their cost of living will go up. 
And then at the same time, other cities around the world will get better internet infrastructure and take their place. From the outside, being a digital nomad seems really great. And it can be. But there are some challenges that are unique to this lifestyle. What do you think the greatest uh, challenges are, like, working as a digital nomad in terms of, like, the actual, like, you know, working piece of it? I think it's isolation. So you're sitting at your laptop literally in a foreign country where you might not know anyone and you're trying to build something where most people need a big community and they need support. So I started a business mastermind. I was just telling you about this. Um, Once a week, I have a meetup where we get together and we talk about what our business is, what's working, and the most important thing, what's not working. Like, what do you need help with? And then you get feedback, tips, advice from anyone who shows up. So it's a great way to meet the community, but it's also a great way to get help, you know, and support. I think the second thing is distraction. So I'll have a whole list of to-do things, like my to-do list for the day. And you'll see I have like post-it notes everywhere. And um, it's just hard to get things done, especially when someone's like, hey, you want to go to the pool? Do you want, I'm not even joking. Do you want to go see some elephants today? And I'm like, oh, all of that sounds really great. But I need to sit here and like build my business. So it's like you're in paradise, but you're, I would say it's like you're on a vacation, but you can't be in vacation mode. Because otherwise, you don't actually make money. You're just your money's just going to go down. Like, yeah, you can sit there and be in vacation mode, but you're not going to build anything. And that's one thing I've realized is like, you know, doing this for four years. It's great to have time periods where you're taking time off, but after a while, you need some purpose in life. You can't just be like, even if you did have all the money in the world, I think like you would lack purpose. And so it's important to not be distracted and just get stuff done. And that can make you feel so like, um, what is the word? Like, uh, just that you're like. You're productive. I just think productivity can really help you on like a self-esteem level and just like a general life level if you feel like you're getting stuff done, even in a foreign country, even with all this. Because we, we, we say we love Chiang Mai so much. Everyone jokes it's like an adult summer camp here. Like literally every single day you could be doing something fun, just running off and like going to a lake or a waterfall or something. But then when are you going to sit down and work on your computer? Like so I have to block out computer time where, you know, I have like 100 people messaging me and people who like big corporations who want, you know, real work done by me. And I have to actually reply to them and make sure that I send them an invoice and do like my corporate stuff. But I'm like living in paradise. So it's. It's like two different brain sets at the same time, and you kind of have to balance those. And it's for most people, I think it's really, really hard. I know for me, it's hard, and it's taking me four years to just figure out some sort of balance and routine with it. This is a challenge that I've personally had to deal with. I think a necessary mental transition is realizing that it's not like you're on vacation and have a limited amount of time to explore. You're location independent, and that means you can come back whenever you want. Okay, what else should you be mindful of? I mean, the biggest thing is access to strong, consistent Wi-Fi, right? And so you would think that that's readily available everywhere. And I've had a lot of problems with Wi-Fi where maybe I won't be able to take a video call or the reception's coming in really bad and I have an important meeting and it's glitchy on my end or I have to cancel and find a place with better Wi-Fi and... That makes me really nervous because I feel like it makes me look bad or it makes me look unprofessional. And so that's the biggest important thing when I'm moving to a new city is can I find a co-working space that's 24 hours? Can I find somewhere that has strong, consistent, secure Wi-Fi? Yeah, this is a big one. Pro tip, if you're in Thailand, buy a SIM card and an unlimited data plan. It's good enough for video calls and it works everywhere. 
Oh, and it's like $10 a month. Uh, lastly, time zones. Time zones can get really tricky. Um, that even with my company being distributed, most of the people that I work with are on the East Coast in the States. And so we might have meetings at 12, 1, 2, 3 in the morning. And you know, I, I chose to live in Thailand. So that's something that I need to take on myself and wake up and go do a meeting. But that can be really difficult to have creative thought and be able to articulate yourself at three in the morning. Um, or, you know, my Friday night is their Friday morning. That's still a weekday. Uh, so the motivation to say like, hey, guys, can't go out to the bar tonight. I still have to sit down and work can be really hard. All right. So those are some of the work challenges. What about when you're not working? So I think with San Francisco, I just got kind of stuck in the repetition. And that was really hard for me. And kind of on the polar opposite, uh, when you go digital nomad, you lose that routine. And so you really need to make an effort in your week if it's important to you of like, you know, I'm going to do this every day or I'm going to wake up at this time because it's entirely up to you. And I found myself getting a little lost without routine. Uh, so my couple of constants in every city that I went to, I always joined a yoga studio and I made sure to go to like at least three classes a week. And it wasn't that yoga was so important to me, but it was that it was something I used to do in the city and I could do it here and it kept me accountable to wake up at 9 a.m. at least three days a week and, you know, do something and be mindful of something. Um, and then my second thing was I always got a bike wherever I went and for most places. There was a couple of places that weren't very bike friendly, but for the most part, I got a bike where I went and that was something that I also used to do in San Francisco and it just kept me healthy and active and it was something I enjoyed doing. I'm just going to chime in here. Uh, I've found Facebook to be a really useful tool for getting situated and establishing routines when you arrive in a new city. The marketplace feature makes it easy to find a used bike or a guitar, and the digital nomad groups are usually incredibly helpful. You'll find recommendations for the best gyms or yoga studios, places to work, areas to live, and how to get connected to your favorite activities. So establishing routines can definitely be challenging. But likely the biggest challenge of being a digital nomad, in my opinion, is maintaining strong community. Social life's kind of hard. Of You know, when you're living in one city, you get used to having your friends. And maybe you've had your friends for a long time, friends from college or friends from work. Um, it's hard to kind of get a group when you're on the road, especially if you're moving a lot. Um, and if you're living in hostels or working out of co-working spaces, you meet people all the time, but then people move on all the time and they might not be in your same rhythm. And so it can get a little bit lonely, um, which is one reason that I joined Remote Year, not to pitch that the whole time, but it provided a community that moved around with you. And so I was able to make more lasting relationships that I didn't have to say goodbye to people every month, that I could have those people with me for say, four months or a year. And I thought that that was really helpful in adjusting to new cities. But what if you're not going through a program? One thing that you mentioned was, uh, you know, the importance of finding community. Because if you don't do that, like you said, you'll probably just come to the point where you'll realize, like, okay, maybe this is not for me and I just need to go home. Mm -hmm. So what are, the, what are the best ways to, you know, strategies or just, like, the things you can do to find community quickly in a place? And maybe quickly is not the key word there. <laughs> 
I think uh, figuring out the Facebook groups ahead of time, a lot of digital nomads have a Facebook group for each city. So you can literally say Chiang Mai digital nomad Facebook group. So connect with that ahead of time. So maybe like a month ahead of time before you go to that place, see what events are going on in the city. Maybe reach out to some people. Uh, you can even put on there like, hey, guys, I'm coming into town. I'd love to meet up with people in whatever industry you're in or whatever. That's a really great way to plan ahead. For me personally, I'm a little bit of the op- uh, I'm an oddball because I'm the one that creates the communities whenever I go because I go I used to own a co-living company so I would create the communities as we went along so I connect with the local co-working space I'd set up events with the local entrepreneurs so I was usually like a community builder um, so I, for me it's second nature I'm usually the one that's like creating the party that everyone else comes to or people reach out to me and ask what what is there to do in the city so much so that I created a Facebook group just for the things going on in the city because I was tired of people asking me all the time so I'm like these are the things going on this week in order here you go you can show up for them if you want to what's your thoughts on because this is something I find really interesting like there's definitely some perks of being the community builder right because um yeah, you get to sort of set up like like the you, people come to you. Um, what are your thoughts on sort of just like going and and finding the community versus sort of building your own? Uh, I think both are really good. I don't necessarily want to be the community builder all the time. If I need to get work done, I don't. Uh, you know, there's a cost gain ratio of planning all the things. But um, if the community is not there, I don't have a problem with just being like, hey, guys, let's just get together. So in Bali, that was the case. I used to consult for a co-working space. But when I came back into town this year, I wasn't consulting. I was working online. And so I didn't really go into a co-working space. I had a beautiful villa. I worked from home. But I was like, well, how do you meet people here, you know? So I started throwing villa parties. And then I just created a Facebook messenger chat. with, And then like I said, you know, only add people if you think they're cool. Let's meet up, whatever. There's over 50 people. And they still, to this day, I haven't been there for six months and people still meet up every day from that group chat and I think it's really fun it makes me happy to look in there and see that people are still meeting up from that group chat that I started there's one more challenge I wanted to touch on that some of you might want to be aware of listening to this episode you might get the impression that there's a lot of female digital nomads but actually uh, the majority of digital nomads are men so tell me if I'm wrong but it seems like maybe uh the digital nomad world is maybe slightly male dominated. <laughs> that is an understatement. I asked Brittany about her experience as a female digital nomad and whether the balance is shifting. When I first started off traveling, I was really the only girl. I would say it was 90% men. So I was like me and like one other girl. So on my co-living company, right? It was like me and one other girl uh, that was on the trip and there'd be like 15 guys. And I just got used to that. I was like the house mom for everyone. I would just make sure everyone was okay and like kind of take care of everyone. But I, when I moved to Chiang Mai, it really hit me because I would go, I was co, I was business consulting for the co-working space here. And I'd go into a co-working space and it would be me and like 60 guys working on their laptop and like two girls. And I was like, what the heck is going on? Why is there no women here? And then I realized that a lot of it was like dominated by a couple guys in the city that were very loud. They used to be like in the pickup artist scene. There was just like a lot of like shady stuff going on here. And I just remember thinking, no, I'm going to change this. This is not the way it's going to be. So I started running like women entrepreneurship meetups and like I started running like um, just a lot of things around women focus, just trying to make it like a statement that this is a place where women can come and work and feel safe and like thrive, you know. Brittany has personally created a lot of resources for women to feel comfortable as a digital nomad in a place like Chiang Mai. 
But there's also other resources popping up that hint at a changing culture. And there's also a lot of um, online courses that are popping up that are directly um, marketed towards women becoming digital nomads. So basically helping them build their digital skills, like teaching them to be a programmer, teaching them digital marketing skills so that they can go off. And I, I think that's actually kind of nice because, you know, if they can do it in a way where women feel comfortable because there is... You know, on the one hand, I, I know a lot of guys are like, why do they get their own course or whatever? But there is a lot of stuff that women face that men don't. Like, you know, when my um, when I, my male friends were going to go off traveling, their parents were like, awesome, go have fun. When I was going to go off traveling, I was, you know, 23 years old. I had been married for a long time. I was an adult. You know, I lived on my own since I was 17. And still my family and friends were like, are you going to be safe? Are you sure you're not going to get raped out there? And I was just so annoyed by it. But I can see where I got annoyed by it. But I can see where women, if they're not as confident, they can feel really um, insecure about it. And so I think these courses that are directed just at women, they also affect, they also are directed at like, how do you feel safe? How do you make sure that you're you know aware of your surroundings in a new country? So they kind of help you boost your confidence as well. And I think that's really important. So is all of this working? Brittany seems to think so. So I think it is changing. I've noticed that there's a lot more women in town and it's just fun to see how it's becoming more like just balanced. I think that's the way it should be. I've been a digital nomad now for eight months and I'm pretty convinced that digital nomadism in some form is the future. Worldwide, there's a new generation of young people rebelling against the traditional 9-to-5 corporate world. At the same time, economic conditions are pushing people out of traditional jobs. And then you have this rapidly progressing technology that is enabling remote work at an unprecedented scale. The result is a paradigm shift, a revolution in the way that we live and work, and it's really exciting to be a part of. But we're still at the beginning. And I get the sense that there's still so much digital nomads are trying to figure out. Things like how to form community on the road, or how to balance work and play, or even how to make sure the digital nomad lifestyle is available to everyone, not just white men. And for me, there's another thing that I've been thinking a lot about. Do you think that that this whole changing culture of digital nomadism, do you think that they're, like, it's at all ethically or morally wrong or has i mean i guess the question is like how do how do you think about like the ethical implications you know there are real effects in terms of you know rising living costs and you know just overall gentrification and homogenization of culture how do you think about that some of the bigger questions do come around for instance like air travel you know the carbon footprint of flying around in air, these airplanes and jets, like, that's massive. It's also the way you go about traveling. So there's a, that's a reason why I don't, I think a lot of people don't resonate with the digital nomad term because a lot of digital nomads, if you look online on YouTube or whatever content they're putting out there, all they care about is how can you get the cheapest thing from this country. Brittany thinks that one way to be more conscious is to really try and make friends with the locals. And when you're friends with people who live in that country, you don't look at consuming their stuff and looking at them like they're a foreigner. You're just like, oh yeah, that's my friend. And you look at it as like, how can we protect the culture? How can we learn from them instead of take from them? It's very difficult. It comes down to education, you know, and you come from the culture that you come from, whether you're coming from 
England or Spain or America or Japan or wherever, whatever kind of culture people are coming from to live this lifestyle, they, they carry that with them. And if you were a conscious citizen back in San Francisco, you'll probably be a conscious citizen wherever you go. These concerns aside, I think this lifestyle is definitely worth trying. Yeah, for me, uh, it's, it's a way to, to build the life that you want, you know? I'm at the beginning stages of my digital nomad experiment, and I still don't think I've figured it all out. I'm not fully convinced that I want to be moving around so much, and sometimes I worry I might not be forming the deep connections and community that we as humans need to become our best selves. But I have seen the advantages. I've been able to slowly see more of the world, and I have the space to pursue my passions. This podcast, it takes a lot of time and work to create, and it's only by working as a remote software developer part-time and living in cheap countries that I've had the time and energy to create it. So yeah, I'm still trying to figure it out. And I think maybe we all are. But what's clear is that we're at the cusp of something radically different. And it's really exciting. All right, this marks the end of the first season of Radically Different. It's been quite the journey and a lot of hard work, but it seems like it's paid off. Because throughout the process, I've discovered so many stories and ideas that I think are wildly interesting and have shifted my worldview. And based on the response to this podcast, it seems that you feel the same way. And that gets me really excited to start producing the next season. I'm already thinking about different topics to explore and ways to make this podcast even more interesting and useful to you. If you have ideas for future episodes or you want to give feedback, please reach out. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Radically Different Podcast. I want to give a big thank you to everyone who has supported me on this journey so far. I couldn't do it without you. I'll be taking a break from the show for a little while and doing some traveling and seeing people back in the States, but I'll be back soon with more episodes. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Until next time.